We're going to be talking about godly leadership in our homes, and um, this is something that I had to learn the hard way. When I first got serious about dating, I didn't understand any of this. I thought that the best thing to do in a dating relationship was to uh, just kind of uh, uh, let the girl do what she wanted to do. In fact, I would ask her, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Uh, what kind of things do you want to do? What don't you want to do? And whatever she said, that's basically... Why are some of you girls smiling? <laughs> yeah, I was that stupid, you know. In fact, just to show you how stupid I was, we were honestly talking about uh, a marriage after uh, graduation from college. And one day she said, now Greg, after we get married, will you buy me anything I want? Now, what would a good answer to that be? Maybe. The answer that I gave her was, well, I'll try. Now, little did I understand that that was a test question. That she was honestly trying to understand, do you have any leadership at all in our relationship? Or am I always going to be the one that makes the decisions, that, that gives the direction for our home? Am, am I honestly going to be the one that is the leader in the home? I didn't understand. That's what she was asking. And so, I gave the wrong answer. After a year and a half, she disappeared. Seriously, she disappeared. She went to Atlanta for a six-week training to be a Delta airline stewardess. And uh, I was going to the University of Illinois at the time. And so uh, she told me when she'd be coming back into Chicago uh, O'Hare Field. And so I was there to meet her plane. And everybody got off the plane, and she wasn't on the plane. So I waited for the next plane to come from Atlanta, and she wasn't on that plane. I waited for the next Delta plane to come in from Atlanta, and she wasn't on that. Now, this is before cell phones. So I finally just went to a payphone, and I, I called her home there in the Chicago area, and I talked to her mother. I said, I don't know where Marty is, but uh, uh, she's not shown up. And she said, oh, she came in yesterday. I said, well, she did? Oh, well, well, I would, well, it would have been nice if she'd have told me, and she said she didn't want you to meet her. I said, well, that's not what she told me. She said, in fact, she doesn't want to ever see you again. I said, un momento, por favor. <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? She said, you're done. I said, may I talk to her? She didn't want to talk to you. Now, that wasn't a good thing to tell me. Because when somebody says to me, it ain't going to happen, in my heart, I say, oh, yeah? So I went back out, and I met every airline that was coming in from Atlanta, 
And, and after it was all done, the stewardesses would all exit the plane. And I stood there and I said, do you know, do you know, do you know? And I kept asking stewardesses if they knew her. And finally one of them said, oh yeah, she asked, she's new, isn't she? I said, yes, yes, she's new. And they said, well, okay. And I told them who I was, oh, you're Greg. I said, yeah. She said, uh, she doesn't ever want to talk to you again. I said, what? No, what? I said, do you have any idea how I can contact her? Long story short, I finally got her on the phone. And she said, I don't ever want to see you again. I said, we're talking about getting married. She said, that was the problem. You need to find somebody who will follow your desires and your plans, and you will be a leader for her, and she will lovingly follow your lead. Goodbye. Now that was a kick in the gut. Like what? What in the world? I thought I was doing everything I possibly could to make her happy. But a girl is not looking for somebody who will make her the leader. She's looking for someone who will be a loving shepherd leader. And when you stop to think about the characteristics of a shepherd, that's exactly what God had in mind. In fact, Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, and he basically was saying, let me tell you what kind of leadership you should have. We pick up in verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 25. Matthew 20, 25. And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. And they're going, well, What did you read us here? Because they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew that he was the son of God. They knew that he was going to set up a kingdom. At least they thought he was. And now all of a sudden, he's saying, a leader in my kingdom does not exercise authority over them. Notice, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Servant leadership was a brand new concept to them. They didn't understand. In fact, even the last conversation they, John um, what, what, and, and his brother were having was, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, grant unto us that we may sit on your right hand and on your left hand. They're looking for a kingdom. They're looking for seats of authority. And Jesus is saying, sorry, that's not the kind of leader I am. And that's not the kind of godly leader I want you to be.
continue on, if you will, and let's look at John 13. John chapter 13 and verse 13, Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That was a job of a servant. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so we're talking about godly leadership God's way. What does that mean? What does that mean in our home as we talk about family focus during the course of this month? As we talk about being husbands, a godly leader is basically a servant leader. And serving doesn't lessen your authority or, or your leadership. But if we lead as Christ led, we'll be thinking of others and not ourselves. So men, what does that mean? Well, first of all, you have to know your own goals. The goals that you have set for yourself. A wagon train leader, back in the day of wagon trains going across the, 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 uh, the prairie to the west, a wagon train leader had to expect everything that could go wrong. He, he should expect an Indian attack. He should expect rustlers. He should expect any possible thing, prairie fires, everything. And he should know exactly what he would do the instant that the, it began to take place because he's the wagon train leader. The same thing is true for us as husbands. We should have goals for ourselves. We should have educational goals. When we went to south part of Atlanta to become pastor of the fastest growing church in the state of Georgia, whose leadership had become immoral, and it became just a, a horrible situation. They asked me to become their pastor. The first 18 months we were there, we had 18 cases of immorality in the church and school. I had no clue that working in a church ministry would be dealing with such issues. And so consequently, when Lynchburg Baptist College, soon to become Liberty University, offered a week's class on counseling, I went. And I said, man, I need it. It, it wasn't really a class, it was just kind of a seminar for the week. Halfway through the week, the leader said, how many of you would be interested in taking this class for credit on a master's degree level? I thought, well, I guess so. I sure need it. So half of us raised our hands. They said, well, you'd have to uh, do a paper at the end, and you'd have to do some outside reading, and, and uh, you'd have to take a test at the end. We all thought, well, that's not a problem. A couple weeks after we went home, they contacted us all, and so we decided to start a master's degree program in biblical counseling. Are you interested? We all signed up. Because I was pastoring a church that was like Peyton Place. 
It was horrible. I mean, it was amazing how wicked the place had become. So I worked on a master's degree in biblical counseling. When I got done, I thought, you know, I sure do need some more training in other areas. So I started my doctorate. Finally, I got my doctorate of ministry from Bob Jones University. And uh, we were driving home, and Ruth looked at me and said, are you done? <laughs> you see, because she'd been sitting up at 3 o'clock in the morning helping me revise my doctoral dissertation. And so basically, we got the degree, not just me. But are you done? I said, you know, I don't think you need more than one doctorate, so I think I'm done. So I had some educational goals, vocational goals. Men, we need to know what it is that, that God may call us into and begin to prepare for. Ministry goals. What kind of goals do you have for yourself? Then how about goals for your family? And you need to work on these goals with your wife. These are not goals that you just individually set yourself. You need to sit down and say, honey, what, what kind of goals do we need to have as a family for ministry? And pray about those. Goal number one, of course, is to make the Bible the standard of all your actions and attitudes for every family member. And, and, and uh, so basically to, to teach our, our kids this is the Word of God, and whatever we do and say in ministry, it needs to be directed by God's Word. That way, when I'm seeking God's will, this is the location where I'll focus, God's Word. So, goal number one, make the Bible the standard for every decision. Goal number two, financial goals for your family. Teaching your children how to make financial goals how to pay off your debts. We told them that when we were just newlyweds, we got a credit card from Sears and Roebuck. We were both working at Sears. And uh, so we just decided if there ever comes a month that we can't pay off our credit card bill completely, then we'll cut the credit card up and never use it again. Then we got a Visa. Then we got a MasterCard. Same policy. Every month, pay it off completely. Now, we taught our boys this to the point that there were times that we were broke, and they knew we were broke. I gave my, Dan, my wife dandelions for our monthly anniversary, and she said, oh, we're broke. I said, yeah, we're broke. And she put them, of course, in the, in the little glass uh, jar on the table, and then the boys came in, and they said, what are these weeds doing on the table? I said, boys. These are anniversary flowers. And when they picked themselves up off the floor, after dying laughing, they said, uh, Dad, are we broke? I said, yeah, we're broke. Yeah. But we taught our kids how to be broke, but still show love. Amen? So financial goals, number two. Number three, operational goals. In other words, what do we want to set as goals for our family? Family devotions. What are we going to do for family devotions? How about the phone use? What kind of goals do we have there? Family nights, bedtimes, and, and neatness standards. All of these kinds of things need to be set as goals for your family 
members. Then, of course, goal number four is ministry together goals. Ministry together goals. This is something that our boys taught us later on that said, Dad, we're so glad that you never made the ministry the number one thing in your life, but you made God number one, mom number two, us number three, and then ministry number four. That could be one of the reasons that all three of our sons are in the ministry today because they saw that the family was very, very important. That's why when, when uh, uh, I was out on visitation, as soon as our sons were potty trained, I took them on visitation. You understand the importance of that, don't you? Potty trained, you know. You don't want to have to deal with that while you're on a visit. But so as soon as they were potty trained, I started taking them on visits with me. In fact, it was on one of our Saturday morning visits that our middle son got saved. We pulled up in front of our house and Jonathan looked at me and he said, Dad, you know what that guy did there at the house a few minutes ago when he got saved? I said, yeah. And he said, I, I haven't ever done that. So right there in our car, after taking him on visitation, Jonathan got saved. Now, they all knew that after we were on visitation, we had to go to Dairy Queen. We had to get some ice cream. And uh, it's, it's interesting. Years later, when Jonathan was married and had a son, I visited their home, and, and he said, hey, Bailey wants to go visiting with you. I said, oh, great, okay. So nine-year-old Bailey went out visiting with me. Got done with all of our visits. We're on the way home. He said, Granddaddy, where are we going now? I said, I'm going home. He said, oh, oh, well, my dad said we'd be going to Dairy Queen. I said, well, did your dad send money? <laughs> but you see, ministry goals together, together. Helping them to serve God with us, not watch us, but with us. Now, so you need to know your own goals, guys. Secondly, you need to know the areas where you've got to oversee. First of all, your wife's spiritual welfare. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. Your wife's spiritual welfare. Ephesians chapter 5. Notice verse 25 through 27. Your wife's spiritual welfare. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And so we see your wife's spiritual welfare is vitally important. And so first thing I would say is pray for her and with her. Notice the last part, and with her. So many times in my counseling, a husband and wife would be sitting in front of me, and she would begin to cry, and she'd say, Pastor, if my husband would just pray with me. Didn't understand, guys, that that's a very important thing to our wives, to pray 
with her. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. You don't have to be an expert in prayer, but you just have to take the leadership in prayer. And secondly, providing the opportunity for her to serve the Lord at church. Serve the Lord at church. In other words, if, if you have to, babysit for her so she can have time to serve the Lord in a church activity. And then, of course, discuss areas in her life, struggles, and share what God has taught you or is teaching you in those areas. Whatever God is teaching you men, teach your wives. If God is teaching you patience, simply say to her, honey, this is what God is teaching me. And I haven't learned it yet, so pray for me. But this is what God is teaching. In other words, as she is able to see leadership in your example, she'll understand that you're looking out for her spiritual welfare. Secondly, your wife's decision-making. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And verse 9. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Men, there are some times that you have to make decisions that your wife may not be real happy about. Talk with, them, with her about them, pray with her about them, give her time. But if push comes to shove and you have to make a decision, make a decision to please God, not necessarily please her. Not necessarily to please her. And so consequently, help her to understand that, honey, there are times that I'll have to make, I, I know there are times that, that I've given counsel to a family and, and they're struggling with the idea of tithing, with giving a portion to God's work. And the wife is saying, we can't afford to tithe. And the husband say, we can't afford not to tithe. We need to give God his portion of our income every week. And so I would say to him, so who are you going to please then? Your wife or God? See, that's what Galatians is talking about. He's saying, if I'm going to please God, then I can't necessarily please men or women. So men, there are times that you'll have to make that decision. And then, and then your wife's relationships. Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, helping your wife understand her relationships. Titus chapter 2, notice verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so consequently, teaching your wife to be submissive and respectful. Submissive and respectful. 
And then teach your wife not only in her relationship with you, but also her relationships with other people. Gossip is often an issue that you as a husband need to deal with. Honey, where are you hearing this? Are you a part of the problem or are you part of the solution? If not, then is that something you should be talking about if you're not a part of the problem or part of the solution? Then, of course, her relationships with God, and that's the most important thing. Where is she studying? Where is she getting her, her counsel? Is she writing down the results that God is, is teaching her, helping her learn to journal? You taking the leadership, showing her how to write down what God is teaching her. So your wife's relationships. And then lastly, your wife's ministries. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, seeing that she doesn't overtax herself. Sometimes wives can become so industrious and so, so wrapped up in things that before you know it, she's exhausted. Not good. You need to help her to say, okay, time. We need to rethink. We need to talk about what you can do and what you can't do. Now, lastly, I want to call your attention to the last part of our, uh, of our outline there. And that is the study of being a shepherd guide. A shepherd guide. Servant leadership, following God's leadership. The Bible tells us, first of all, a shepherd knows where he's going. John chapter 6 and verse 38. A shepherd knows where he's going. He's prepared the, the uh, field ahead of time where uh, the sheep will eat. He's gotten rid of all the, the, the weeds, all the poisonous weeds. He's gotten rid of the, the, uh, uh, the pools that are filled with, with disease, things like that. He knows where he's going. The same thing is true with us. We, we can't be wishy-washy in our decisions. We have to be firm and settled in this. Can't be lazy. We cannot be lazy. We have to obviously get our wisdom from God's Word. Secondly, a shepherd knows how to lovingly lead. You remember Psalm chapter 23? I call your attention to verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Psalm 23.3. And so consequently, we see that we need to be men who know how to lovingly lead. Thirdly, a shepherd leads by example. John chapter 10 and verse 4. We don't have time to get into these verses, but I've listed them there for your study a little bit later. A shepherd then has to lead by example. He can't say, do as I say, not as I do. That's not the example that a shepherd would, would, would lead. A shepherd always leads his flock. He never drives his flock. He always leads his flock. Number four, a shepherd knows how to oversee. How to oversee. And consequently, I gave you Ezekiel 34, 1 to 4. Those are bad examples. God was saying to the shepherds of Israel, you guys have been horrible examples. 
horrible leaders. And the same thing is true for us. Men, we need to know how to oversee. Some men treat their wives like children, controlling every activity. That's not God's leadership. That's not God's will. Then number five, a shepherd is involved. John chapter 10, verse 14. A shepherd is involved. Now, some men fear the reaction of their wives and the consequences of doing right. But God will hold you responsible for your home, not your wife. Do you understand that? God holds us as men responsible for the leadership of our home, for the decisions of our home. God will not hold your wife responsible. And one day when he asks you to give an account of your home, he'll be talking to us men and not to our wives. So we have to be involved. Number six, a shepherd is diligent in his responsibility. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. If you've been letting your wife lead, then some changes need to take place. You need to sit down with her and say, Honey, I'm, I just want to let you know God has convicted me about my leadership or lack of leadership, and I've been letting you lead. I've kind of been you know, pushing you to lead or allowing you to lead. I just want to let you know that's not God's plan for a home and a family. I've seen it now. I've asked God to, to, to forgive me. I want to ask you to forgive me because from this point on, I want to begin to lovingly lead our home. You pray for me. It'll be new. I'll make some mistakes. But this is the new direction our home is going. And when you ask her to forgive you, then she'll begin to understand this is a godly thing that you are doing, not a selfish thing. Does that make sense? And so consequently, we have to be diligent in our responsibility. And then number seven, a shepherd protects. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 13, he protects. The same thing is true for us. We have to make sure that our wives have a safe car, a safe home, and, and, and uh, uh, that, that the environment of our home is safe. Uh, spiritual um, uh, things coming into our home. What, what comes into our home through the TV or through the internet or through books or, or things like that. Uh, and so husbands, it's up to you to know what's in your home for your wife, for your children. Know what they're watching. Know what they're listening to. It's your responsibility to take the leadership because a shepherd lovingly protects his sheep. Number eight, a shepherd provides. Psalm 23.1. It's our responsibility to care for the physical and financial needs of our home. Our responsibility. The Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? want. I, I, I shouldn't go without what I need because God is my shepherd. The same thing should be true with your wife. Your wife should be able to say, my husband is my shepherd. I shall not lack what we need. Not what we want, but what we need. So a shepherd provides. Number nine, a shepherd instructs. Psalm 23, 1 to 3. Be a good idea, men, if we uh, kind of reviewed messages that we heard in church and Bible studies that we heard in church, that when we get home, we just kind of spend some time and, and review 
what we heard. How does that apply to us? And, of course, having devotions together and, and, and instructing our families. Greatest time of devotions in our family was when we t- were talking around the supper table, heard what was going on during the course of the week, course of the day in my boys' lives and, and uh, our lives, and then I would take the Bible and say, do you think the Bible says anything about that situation? Do you think the Bible addresses that issue? And open up the Word of God and show them from God's Word. God's Word addresses every situation we face. Every situation that we face. A shepherd instructs. Number 10, a shepherd corrects. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The shepherd used the rod and the staff to correct wayward sheep. Then lastly, a shepherd seeks to restore his sheep. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 3. To restore his sheep. And when our sheep kind of go astray, the shepherd goes and gets them and brings them back into fellowship with the rest of the sheep. Same thing is true with our families, men. It's up to us. If we've got a wayward member of our family, put your hands together. That's the first thing that we should be doing. And fasting along with our praying for our family and for the members of our family. And as our family members see that we, the spiritual leaders, are fasting and praying for them, they'll begin to understand, wow, this is an important thing to dad. Maybe I should sit down and talk. Maybe I should consider. But after you've prayed and gotten your heart right, got rid of any anger in your heart, then you sit down and you talk with them. First question, is there anything between you and me that's not right, that I need to make right? Second question, is everything okay between you and God? Is everything okay between you and God? Has to be right between you and them first, then you have the opportunity to talk to them about what's right between them and God.